Welcome back, y'all. My name is Erin, and this is the What in the Sam Hill podcast, where I investigate paranormal phenomena, high strangeness, cryptozoology, ancient mythology, and the delightfully odd. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to encourage you to check out the Substack. There we have show notes for each episode that contain the relevant links to papers and articles used in research for the episode. I also want to encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share the podcast with your friends. Let's build a community of weirdos together. So if you listened to last week's episode, you heard me mention Knemu, also known as Knum, because I had found an odd glyph associated with him that contained the Jed column symbol. I also speculated that perhaps Shekinah, the Hebrew word for divine light and indwelling, was some sort of play on the name Kanemu, given his association with the Jed column. Unfortunately, I didn't have very good information on Kanemu, and that bothered me. So this week, I want to dive headfirst into exactly who this god was. Um, One thing in particular that intrigued me in last week's research was that Kanemu is a ram-headed god. Again, the Egyptian gods and goddesses are almost all depicted with animal heads and human bodies, um, at least the more important ones. Um, for example, you know, Thoth is the ibis, um, Horus is the hawk, um, and so on. So, um, Kanemu was the ram-headed god, but his ram's head is a blue-green color, and his horns strick- stick straight out to the side in these like wavy lines. Honestly, they look unlike any ram's horns I've ever seen, and especially in that blue-green color, they remind me of seaweed. They do look similar to if the kudu antelope's horns went horizontal instead of vertical. And supposedly there was a subspecies of wild Barbary sheep that is now extinct called the Ovis longipes paleoegyptiacus or something like that (laughs) that had these types of horns. But I couldn't find any evidence in a cursory review of the internet that that we have any sort of fossils or skulls or any physical evidence of this. It seems that the only... um, evidence that we have of this is the Egyptian reliefs and uh, commentary of of those reliefs. So that means we have more scientific scientific evidence for Bigfoot than we do for this ram, and that bothers me. Um, But aside from that, the odd combination of a ram with more watery features, it makes me think of the goat-fish combination of Capricorn and also the semi-amphibious Nomo and Fowler that we've discussed in previous episodes. So who is Kanemo and why is he blue-green? Let's find out. So Kanemu is one of the oldest gods in the Egyptian pantheon, having been worshipped since the pre-dynastic period. Some sources suggest his name comes from a Semitic word meaning sheep, but Bal- Balas. Wallace Budge who I do lean on heavily in my Egyptian research, for better or for worse. Um, But Wallace Budge's Dictionary of Egyptian Hieroglyphs has Kanemu meaning mason or builder or even cook, but that's kind of off base to me considering mason and builder. I guess it's a recipe of sorts. 
Um, but anyway, Mason or Builder to me makes sense because that's much closer to his actual role versus um, just being named for the animal that you look like. I think that's more of a symbol than the actual role. Um, but you'll see his name also translated as Kanam or various other spellings. Like the other Semitic languages, Egyptian is fast and loose with its vowels. Most of them are understood, which makes it difficult to translate into English, especially because E basically doesn't exist in the Semitic alphabets and yet is the most commonly used letter in English. So if you were to read the Egyptian hieroglyphs directly translated character for character, it would look like some weird Eastern European language where you have to buy a vowel. Um, but either way, regardless, I'm going to call him Kanemu because that's the first translation I saw in my research and I am stubborn. Kanemu was a creator god, but to me that term is not a great representation for those of us coming from an Abrahamic background in particular, so I'm thinking Judaism, Christianity, and Islam when I say this. For monotheists like us, the creator is God, and they are one and the same. Polytheistic religions or monolatric religions, where they recognize multiple gods but worship um, just one or mostly one, tend to understand creation differently. Often you see the God performing the handiwork is not the most high primordial supreme deity from whom the other gods are derived. Kanemu was an artisan, a sculptor, a mason. He was known as a potter and is often associated with and shown with a potter's wheel. The Greeks and Romans compared him to Hephaestus and Vulcan, which were their blacksmith type gods, but that really doesn't do justice justice to his role. In the mythology, Kanemu didn't just build boats and ladders and other inanimate objects. He also built people. The pyramid texts, which are inscribed inside the pyramids at pyramids at Saqqara, and are perhaps the oldest surviving sacred texts in the world, reference Kanemu building the Pharaoh Teti. In the Egyptian religion, the soul has many parts, with the three most important being the Ka, the Ba, and the Ankh. The Ka is roughly translated as double or twin, but it is best understood as the life force. Kanemu was responsible for building the bodies and then fusing the Ka with the body to create the person. That privilege of crafting people, similar to what we see in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, is far different from the roles that Hephaestus and Vulcan played in their respective mythologies. Kanemu is called a father of fathers and mother of mothers, something we would clearly not associate with Hephaestus and Vulcan and instead does invoke more biblical imagery. Later Egyptian mythology also associates with the creation of the universe with Kanemu, though to some extent I put less credence on it because the New Kingdom Egyptian religion is much different from the Old Kingdom religion. The effect of thousands of years of playing telephone through time, it's an ongoing problem in all religions. For example, the Hadith has changed Islam from what it would have been with only the Quran. The Pauline letters have changed Christianity from what it would have been with only the Gospels. The Talmud has changed Judaism from what it would have been with only the Torah, and I'm sure that can be extrapolated out to other religions, which with, which with I'm less familiar. 
Regardless, the legends state he supported the heavens at the beginning of creation and that he created the four elements, being earth, water, air, and fire. It is said he was the builder while Thoth was the architect and together they worked for the supreme deity. In his role as the crafter of people and later the universe, Kanemu reminds me of the demiurge of Gnosticism, a craftsman working for the supreme deity. Given that Gnosticism came out of Judaism, which itself came from the Egyptian religion via the Hyksos pharaohs, it's not unreasonable to assume that Kanemu may have been a model for the concept of the demiurge with influences from Platonism and other religions. To be honest, though, I don't know the exact date of the transition of Kanemu as the creator of people to Kanemu as the creator of the universe, so it's possible that I have that backward and it was other religions that influenced Kanemu's role. Getting back to the pyramid texts, I want to read you this passage regarding Kanemu and Teti. Greetings, Kanemu, who is constrained to build Teti. You are that something plant of his that his foot steps on and cannot grow back between his toes. You are one of the two pillars of the big enclosure, he says. Ding, 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 ding. The big enclosure referenced is the Temple of the Sun at Heliopolis. Heliopolis is, of course, the Greek name for an ancient Egyptian city translated as the Pillars. Modern scholars claim this is because of the number of obelisks found there, which possibly represent the rays of the sun. Seems like a stretch to me, probably just a bunch of penises, but sure. But this passage from the pyramid text makes me wonder if the pillars means two very specific pillars at the big enclosure. Regardless, this is saying Kanemu is one of the two temple pillars that we discussed last week. Man, I wish I had seen that passage a week ago, but say la vie. No word either on who the other pillar was, so I'm still left with lingering questions. It makes sense, though, that Kanemu would be associated with a pillar, and specifically a Jed pillar, given that he is a mason and builder. Interestingly, the Jed pillar has four horizontal platforms on top, and apparently Kanemu is sometimes pictured with four ram's heads. These both appear to be references to the four elements, earth, water, air, and fire. Looking further at the hieroglyphs, there are a number of glyphs and collections of glyphs that represent Kanemu, just as there are for all of the major gods. Many of these glyphs are representative of epithets used to describe the god. For Kanemu, some of his epithets were great face, which... If someone told me that, I'm not sure if I would see it as a compliment or just awkward. Like, hey, you got a great face. Um, but anyway, his, some of his other epithets were love commander. Also sounds like a terrible pickup line. Peace collector and perfect of Ma'at. Perfect of Ma'at was also an epithet for the sun and for Thoth. Ma'at, of course, is the Egyptian concept of divine goodness and justice, the highest good, if you will, and who was later embodied as a goddess. Given that perfect for Ma'at is an epithet of the sun, Thoth, and Kanemu, I am wondering if Thoth is the other pillar at the Temple of the Sun, and that's why the three share an epithet. I could see that being a romantic metaphor for the need for both wisdom and craftsmanship in ascension. Obviously, Freemasons still put a high standard on both 
wisdom, and craftsmanship, so it's a reasonable explanation, though not one for which I have any direct evidence. I actually looked in the Dictionary of Hieroglyphs to see if Thoth had any association with the Jed Pillar glyph, and I found nada, so that really is just me talking out my ass. I want to note here, though, that Kanemu has really benevolent epithets, which is a deviation from the Demiurge, who I would describe as indifferent to malevolent, depending on who you talk to. Some even suggest that the Gnostics really hated God, and that's why they saw the Demiurge as being so malevolent and evil in and of himself. But I digress. So the two most interesting hieroglyphs associated with Kanemu are the Jed column with outstretched arms that I described last week, and a Jed column with curving horns coming from the bottom. This week, I got a little more information on both of them, actually. But the first one, the outstretched columns are actually the symbol of Ka. And the arms on a glyph mean that they are working with or acting on Ka, like a Ka priest, for example. Gardner describes it as magic. So we have the Jed Pillar performing magic through Ka. The symbol above the Jed column in that hieroglyph is more elusive. It's an oval with a squiggly line through it. Importantly though, the squiggly line does not connect at the edges, so it does not match the symbol for horizon. The next thought I had would be, maybe it's a cartouche, where the symbol inside the oval would be representative of a king. That doesn't fit either though, because there isn't the characteristic line on the right side of the oval. Gardner does have a couple of symbols in his list that are plain ovals. The first is N19, which means land, hence why the squiggly line of water within the oval would mean horizon. In a similar context, it also means bread loaf, but that doesn't really fit here. There is a different glyph though, Z8, that is a little bit more of a chunky boy and looks more similar to the oval above the Jed column. No exact meaning is given for Z8, but it is used in words that roughly translate to circuit. Not a circuit in the electrical sense, although I would have loved that, but in the sense of surrounding something, like a perimeter or a circumference. So I have to wonder if this glyph means that Kanemu uses magic to surround the waters. Let's take a look at another of Kanemu's roles. Kanemu was the lord of the cataracts, specifically the first cataract at Aswan. The Nile has six cataracts, which are shallow areas of the river that have rocky rapids. If you've ever been tubing on a river and you had to get out because you hit a shallow area, think of that, but on a grander scale. The first cataract is the furthest north of the six, therefore it is the furthest downstream as the Nile flows north, obviously. The first cataract was a natural southern border for most of Egypt's history. It separated Egypt from any of the kingdoms to the south, whether that be Kush or now what we know as Sudan. In general, that means Kanemu was responsible not only for the lifeblood of the nation, since the yearly flooding of the Nile is what irrigated and fertilized the land, but also for the protection of the nation, as the cataract prevented enemy combatants from waltzing into Egypt via river. 
Based on this responsibility, I suggest that the hieroglyph means the Jed pillar who uses Ka magic to surround and therefore control the waters. This water connection may also be why he is depicted as a greenish blue color, not the typical color for a ram. The other special glyph associated with Kanemu is the Jed pillar with the cow horns rising from the base. Cow horns are perhaps obviously representative of the head, but they are also representative of high rank or dignity. In a similar fashion, I think this is also why Kanemu is depicted as a ram. Of course, much of the symbolism in Egypt revolve around the precession of the equinoxes. That's actually why you have the exodus of the Hyksos pharaohs, as they got into an argument with the pharaohs of Thebes about what the primary symbol of the pharaohs should be. At the time, the Egyptians were heavily worshipping the Apis bull, but when the age of Taurus ended and the age of Aries began, the symbolism of the Hyksos shifted to the Aries ram and there was a falling out as a result. Of course, there probably would have been a falling out anyway because powerful people going to want to be more powerful, but that's not really here nor there. Here, I think what we're working with is a different aspect of the Zodiac. When you overlay the Zodiac on the human body, Aries the Ram is associated with the head. In the same way that your literal head can be extrapolated to mean head honcho with cow's horns, I imagine the Aries head connection was also extrapolated to indicate Kanemu's importance. To take that further, if the cow's horns represent high status and the Jed pillar represents masonry and building, this glyph may be a reference to Kanemu's role as the chief builder of the gods. I did also find a reference to a ritual by Alistair Crowley called Passing Through the Tuat, where he mentions Kanemu, Lord of Peshemu. I, of course, was not able to figure out what Peshemu means. There is a Russian word Peshemu, which means on foot, but I highly doubt Crowley would have mixed Egyptian and Russian. I did find a word in the Egyptian dictionary that is similar, it's Pishna, and that means a town in the Tuat, but it's possible that Peshemu is just supposed to be a town or region of the Tuat that Kanemu was lord of in this Tuat ritual. The Tuat, also known as the Duat, is of course the underworld in Egyptian mythology. Kanemu was associated with death, just as he was associated with creation, because of that Ka joining together and then separating with the body, and because he built the ferry boat. He was also syncretized with Osiris, who of course was the god of the underworld. And that's to be expected, given that Osiris and Ptah were also associated with the Jed Pillar, as we discussed last week. We have to remember that one of the complications of Egyptian mythology is that there are so many gods and that so many of them have been secretized not only with other religions, but also with each other within the Egyptian religion. Not only did Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt tend to have different pantheons, but also some towns had their own specific deities. And then at various times throughout history, the pharaohs went through all of the mythologies under their geographic control and did an all-you-can-eat buffet of the traits they liked. It's incredibly confusing. For example, we talked last week about the deity Ptah, 
and there is considerable overlap between Ptah and Kanemu, even more so than Kanemu and Hosiris. But Ptah was worshipped primarily in Memphis in Lower Egypt, and Kanemu was worshipped primarily in the area of the first cataract of the Nile in Upper Egypt. The confluence of the two deities probably occurred after the exodus of the Hyksos pharaohs when Egypt joined together as Upper and Lower Egypt united under the rule of Thebes. To me, the most interesting comparisons come not through Osiris or Ptah. They come when we look at one of Kanemu's other names, of which he seems to have plenty. Neph. Neph is the breath of life. And while that makes perfect sense because Kanemu is the creator god is uniting the body with the Ka, it is also fascinating because it correlates with the Numa, the Chi, the Prana. It is therefore equivalent to the Holy Spirit, the indweller of the Christian Trinity, which aligns so well with the Jewish Shekinah indwelling that I mentioned last week. It also aligns on a cosmic level with the Kundalini, as there is significant overlap between Prana and Kundalini. In some senses, they are interchangeable, but in others, Prana is more um, physical and Kundalini is more spiritual. Knef, here spelled K-N-E-P-H, whereas earlier Nef was N-E-F, is also either the god who spit out the cosmic egg that created the universe, or is the cosmic egg itself. Regardless, in alchemical, freemasonic, and theosophical circles, the Kenef is seen as raw creative force. So in some sense, Kanemu not only worked with the Ka, but also was the Ka. Wrapping this up, I find it fascinating that Kanemu is not associated with one of the Jed Pillars, but is labeled, you are one of the Jed Pillars. That association, to me, fortifies what I was suggesting last week, that the Jed Pillar is some sort of electromagnetic technology, either literally or as a reference to lost technology. I think we also must accept, based on this week's research, that it could just be a metaphorical representation of the natural electromagnetic energy of creation. I hope one day that I am able to learn who the other Jed Pillar at Heliopolis was, since Kanemu was only one of two. I think that information would sh shed a lot more light on this conundrum. I listened to an episode of Lex Friedman's podcast this week with David Wolpe, a rabbi and Jewish historian, where David said a two-year-old cannot understand the motivations and responsibilities of a 15-year-old and cannot know what he does not know about a 15-year-old. The two-year-old is simply incapable. We are further from God than that two-year-old is from that 15-year-old. In that vein, I would suggest that we are so far from understanding this reality around us, whether it be globe or flat earth or a realm or just a figment of our imaginations, that multiple conflicting viewpoints particularly of the spiritual variety, could be right at the same time because we cannot grasp it and we will never know. It's Schrodinger's reality in a sense. The same is true of history. It's an overplayed example, but there are multiple understandings of the JFK assassination. And that was only like 80 years ago. To think that we can ever really fully understand something from 800 years ago, or even worse, 8,000 years ago, is foolish.
we can only try. But I do think trying is vital to understanding who we are, why we are here, and what we are supposed to be doing. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Make sure you check out the Substack for the show notes and resources, as well as links to all the other stuff I've got going on. Until next time, in the immortal words of Euripides, question everything, learn something, answer nothing. Bye-bye.